2 Kings chapter number 6, 2 Kings chapter number 6, what a blessing to be back in God's house, I am thankful for the Lord saving me, amen, what great blessings he has given to us, amen. 2 Kings chapter number 6, I want to preach tonight on this subject, how to pray for the lost. Uh, preached this morning a little bit on the intercession, ministry of intercession, how we need to uh, be praying for at least one person. And someone might say, why don't we pray for the whole world? Well, you can. The thing is, when you start focusing in, zero in on one person, it'll start burdening your heart for that person, and you'll start getting a greater burden for other people around you. I'll go through that in just a little bit while you're trying to find... And for those that don't know their Bible, that's in the Old Testament. And so I'll help you with that. Well, here's a quotation. And uh, I bet you'd never guess who said it. He was born in 1646 and died in 1616. Five years after the King James Bible was printed. Rather let my head stoop to the block than these knees bow to any, save to the God of heaven. William Shakespeare. Gives you a little history lesson. <clears throat> John and Betty Stan were early missionaries to China, and as the communists took over, they were led to their execution place. Someone in the crowd said, where are you going? And after saying... After John said, I don't know where the guards are going, but I'm going to heaven. Yes. John Bunyan, we know, was a good old Baptist preacher. Got locked up for a long time, refused to come out because he had to get a license from the city to do it. He said, I'm not doing it. I'll stay in jail. I have the right from God to preach. And John Bunyan stood. And he wrote this, he that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble shall ever have God to be his guide. John Bunyan. Now, it's a good idea to begin at the bottom in everything you try, except in learning to swim. Don't try starting on the bottom. And lighthouses don't ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine on. And that's true. And... Um, Talk about humility, here's one you'll have to think about this one now. A newspaper reporter was interviewing an old rancher and asked him to what would he attribute his success as a rancher. With a twinkle in his eye, the man replied, it's been about 50% weather, 50% good luck, and the rest is brains. 50% weather and 50% good luck makes 100%. So the rest is brains is zero. So there's a lot of things God blesses us with, does he not? Let's stand, please. Second Kings is one of the most revealing chapters in the Bible concerning the grace of God. There are five miracles in this chapter, and that's the number of grace. He shows grace 
when it was not shown much in the Old Testament in verse 22, when Elisha says, set water and bread before them, they may eat and drink and go to their master. He set them all free after feeding the enemy. And he demonstrated a New Testament principle of grace, not found very much in the Old Testament. But if you will, direct your attention to verse 16. After seeing all the sights of the enemy, the Assyrian army, Elisha says to the servant, and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Let us pray. Father, bless thy word tonight. Let your word help us, improve us as soul winners. May we improve our prayer life. May, Father, we be directed, Father, in a good direction. Uh, Father, we be more effective in doing what we need to do for your cause. Lord, bless every here in this building. And I pray, Father, God, bridge that gap between our ear and our soul. And help us, Father, God, to, to just have this verse, these verses in our heart, Lord, that we may, Father, make a difference of some having compassion upon them and others, Lord, the terror of yours, Lord, frighten them. They may come to you. However, you know is best for our loved ones who are not saved. Father, apply those principles. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. This morning, and if you've got that card, don't put anything on it yet. If you just got one. This morning, I talked about the ministry of intercession. And I talked about Joshua the great uh, Israeli Defense Force commander. He's the head general, five-star. Then I talked about the two spies, who is you and I, and went into Jericho where there was a sinner named Rahab. And so there are three main persons in that, the sovereign person, the saint, and the sinner. And eventually this sinner saves the two spies' life by hiding them up in the thatched roof. Joshua chapter number 2. And then they make an agreement that they will go back to Joshua, intercede for her to help save their lives. And the conditions were everybody had to be in the house. Listen, if you don't get saved, it's a horrible way to go. Horrible. And so the ministry of intercession is we as the saved are to go to God for that sinner Rahab. And I asked the people this morning to put on the first line the name of a person who lives in the Dalton-Whitfield County area. I taught one year at Eastside Elementary also. Uh, And put their name down that you'll pray for them. I just thought of that. I thought I'd say it. Will you pray for that person? Well, I, I, I can't lead them to the Lord. I didn't ask you to lead them to the Lord. 
I ask you to pray for them. You can spend time every day going down the road to work. Lord, save that one on my prayer list. And I ask on line number two, put down someone who may live like in a foreign place, you know, foreign country like Maine or California, where they speak different than we do here in North Georgia. And maybe it's a kinfolk. I've got a second cousin who lives in Colorado. He is on my prayer list. So you pray. Now why shouldn't I fill up the whole thing, preacher? Because you won't get a real burden, except if you have the whole world on your list. But if you'll concentrate and focus, target in on one person, then that's the person, Jason, whenever your pastor declares friend Sunday, a family Sunday, a special Sunday, that's the person you go to them and invite them to church and let them hear the gospel. They're the person you invite them for homecoming, anniversary services. That's the person you write a letter to. And when you find out that person, that Rahab in this world, is sick and afflicted and in the hospital, you need to be one of the first persons to go see that person and be a friend to that person and leave a gospel track. You see, we need to pray. And so the ministry of intercession is like the two spies who went to Joshua and said, Joshua, I know the command is to kill everybody in Jericho, but could we spare this one woman because she spared our lives? And Joshua granted that over in Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. He gives the command to to just obey what God's told him to do. But these men, uh, nobody touches anybody in that house that has that scarlet thread, scarlet rope, that red rope hanging out the window. And so that's the ministry of intercession. Uh, You think the bartender is going to pray for your loved ones to be saved? You think the harlot in Dalton, Georgia is going to pray for your loved one to be saved? I doubt it. You think the lost person who is a good moral person, you think they're going to pray for your lost loved one to be saved? I doubt it. If the job of praying and intercessory prayer is left up to you and I, the church member who loves God and loves His command, amen, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now here's what will happen. Once you pray for them after a while, you'll start getting a heavier burden for them. You'll say, there's someone I can't talk to, preacher. I don't know you have to talk to them. If your God's not big enough to start touching their heart and squeezing it some, amen, then maybe you need to get closer to the Lord. God's able to do what you cannot do and what I cannot do. And God loves them more than you do. He gave His Son to die on a cross. And so that was this morning's message. So if you have a prayer card... Put one name on line one, another name maybe of someone who lives in a foreign place on the second line. But you'd say, preacher, is there seven spaces? That's true. But after one of them gets saved, put a line through it, put the date closest to you know they got saved, and then ask God, who should I put on my list in the next spot? So that we keep praying. I preached down uh, last Sunday at Holy Ground Baptist Church, and I would preached this sermon just about a year ago, these two sermons I preached uh, to them in a missions conference. You know where mission starts? Right here in Dalton, Jerusalem. 
Judea, Whitfield County, Samaria, the jails and, and prisons and, and nursing home. That's where it starts. And then we give our money to go to Chile to the uttermost part. That Acts chapter 1 verse 8 has three ends and one unto. And we are living in our Jerusalem. We're living in our Judea. We're living in our Samaria area. But we are to give in the missions offering unto the uttermost part. And so we are to pray. We're to pray for this person on our prayer list. And as they get saved, uh, this young lady, the pastor's daughter, uh, there at Holy Ground Baptist Church told me, she came to Mary and I personally said, you know, you told us to pray. And she had a prayer card and said, two on my prayer card has gotten saved since you were here last year. And I said, have you put some more on there? She said, I certainly have. It's up to me and you to pray for that. You'd say, what if they don't get saved? Then you can stand before God and say, God, I prayed for them. I wanted to see them saved. Now, there are five miracles in this chapter. Look at verse 6. The axe, the iron axe head swims. That was a defying or controlling, really, gravity. It wasn't defying gravity because it came to the surface. Um, then Elisha, verse 12, Elisha hears the king's words in his bedroom chamber, in his bedchamber, that's what this prophet told, or this advisor told uh, the king of Assyria, and the CIA investigated distant viewing and distant hearing in the Cold War when Russia shut, the Soviet Union shut all their borders and excluded, and we wanted to try to find out where their troops were. Uh, God can hear what goes on and relay it to the man of God as he did here. And then in verse 17, as I read, the opening of the eyes of the servant. Here's a person who is given a vision into the next dimension where he sees angels, chariots of fire, horses of fire. He sees the army of God there. Then in verse 18, Elisha prays again. Look at verse 18, let's read it. When they came down to him... Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So that's the fourth miracle is blinding an entire army. I'll tell you what, if the Pentagon could find the person that could do that, uh, we wouldn't have much trouble, would we? They couldn't fly an airplane, drive a truck, or shoot a weapon, and just complete blindness over the enemy. Now in the meantime, they disarmed them, took spoil from them, and they're all blind. They, they're walking around like blind persons. And then verse 20 is the opening. Let me read verse 19. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And when it, when it came to Samaria, uh, when they were coming to Samaria, verse 20, then Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw... And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now let me go back to verse 17 just a minute. Did you... Elisha must have seen these angels and this chariot of fire and all this when he stepped out on the wall. His servant had gone out there before to view the place and look at the place. And when Elisha saw him puzzled... Elisha prayed unto the Lord 
and said, Lord, open his eyes. What is the correct word? Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Now let me ask you a question. Do you know we are a blessed people? And I know we walk and live by faith. We ought to. I trust that God will protect me. I trust God will protect you as a Christian. But if there is a provision that God has for us, God can cause our eyes to open and see, in a, you might say, another dimension of all the blessing that God has provided. You look back, sometimes we go through an experience, and we turn around and look back and say, whoa, look what happened, look what happened. Man, God was with me. And there's a, an understanding of the provision of God that God has provided here. His eyes allowed this servant to look into another dimension, and oh, that our eyes were open to things we cannot see in this body and see that God is working for you and for me. Now let me tell you something. God's not against you. God's for you. Sometimes we're against God. <laughs> uh, count on me, preacher. I'll be there the second Sunday in February and fourth Sunday in October, something like that. It's us. We're, God's not the problem. You and I are the problem. And there's where you need to keep a repentant heart and repent. I'll tell you, anytime I get sick, I get afflicted. Brother Jason, I start repenting. And I told folks when I retired, they asked me, after I retired from pastoring 36 years, uh, three Baptist churches, said, what, 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 what are you doing more? And I, I was serious. They all laughed. I said, I found I have more time to repent. Because when I was pastoring, I was praying for them. I mean, I had so many members, they were all getting in, not all of them, but they were getting in problems and situations, and I spent more time praying for them than it was for myself. And I started repenting more and more and more of my life. Sometimes we don't see our own faults. Sure is easier to see other folks, is it not? I heard this illustration from this pulpit that I'm fixing to give. Albert Tinley was a black man preacher, songwriter. He was not a slave. His mother was a slave. Uh, he, he was uh, open and attended church. One day he presented himself to the church as being called by God to preach. And, and the man, the, the black preacher, looked at him and said, Albert, you can't even read. Get up, go back to the seat. You're nothing. That didn't seem like an encouragement, did it? <laughs> and Albert didn't get stopped by his pastor's words. He started learning how to read. Then he started reading the Bible, and he started believing the Bible, and he started praying. And in, around the turn of the century, 1900s, uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, he had one of the largest churches. He had the largest black church on the eastern coast. Uh, he had about five services, six services a Sunday, and the, the building was just completely full. said even some, on after the white folks had gone to their church service on Sunday morning and got a bite to eat, said they'd go back over in the afternoon just to hear Albert Tinley preach. And he, he just was astounding in his 
eloquence and in his preaching. He wrote many songs. And a reporter asked him, said, What's the, how do you attribute your success? People flock to hear you preach the gospel. He said, I am nothing. I am nothing. Maybe that old pastor gave him some good advice. Huh? He was called uh, by a church near Paducah, Kentucky to come preach a revival and uh, he and his wife rode the train down there and he got to preaching so hard uh, the congregation turned against him. Turned against him. I was interim here just a few months ago and uh, they, some of the people came to me and said, uh, you know, we're going to quit looking for a pastor. We got a preacher talking about me. And I said, are you going to be here next Sunday? Oh, yeah, I'll be here next Sunday. I said, after I preach 90 minutes, I want to hear what you have to say then. <laughs> they might not want me as a pastor. And I wasn't even in. I told them when I initially went, I'm not, I'm not to be considered. And I kept my word. But he preached hard. Preached against sin. And those days, at the end of the revival, they passed a hat around and took up an offering for the evangelist. And they passed the hat around and he gave it to the pastor and there was not a single dime in the offering. The pastor reached in his pocket and gave all the money he had, felt embarrassed that he had invited this man of God down to preach. And uh, Brother Albert Tindley said, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it, God. Take care. Went down to the train station the next morning, bought her a ticket for what little money he had in his pocket and what they'd given him. And she said, honey, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to walk home. I know where these tracks go. These tracks go back to Philadelphia. And I'm going to walk home. And it said that he stood there at the platform and watched her train pull out, her waving, him waving at her, and he got on the track and started walking. But every time in the evening time, when he came to a little town, there would be a little train station. And when he got to that train station, the station master or someone would step out and say, you're a preacher, aren't you? He said, yes, sir, I am. He said, uh, you, do you need something to eat? He said, yes, I do. Well, come right on in here. Took him into the office and went to his home and Got him some pinto beans and cornbread and turnip greens. Oh, I better quit there, hadn't I? You might not have had supper. And uh, he said, then the station master or the person would say, do you have a place to spend the night? No, but I can sleep on this old wooden bench here outside. I'll be fine. He said, oh, no, I've got a little cot back here in my office. I'll go home, but you'll be fine. Just go in there and make yourself at home. He did that on several occasions, and everywhere he went, God provided. If ours would, our eyes would be open how God has provided for his children all down through the Bible, you and I would quit worrying about some things we worry about. When he got back to Philadelphia safe, he uh, then told, he, he, about three months later it said, he was in his study and he just felt led to write a song that sort of, well, sort of expressed his uh, feelings about what had happened down in Paducah 
and what had happened in his life to encourage his congregation. And Brother Randy, it's 353 in the old song book. It goes something like this. If the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little birds. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. And in the chorus, you know, I'd have to sing both parts, so I'll do my best. Leave it there, leave it there, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If your body suffers pain, your health you can't regain, and your soul is almost sinking in despair. Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and He can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Verse 3, when your enemies assail and your heart begins to fail, don't forget that God in heaven answers prayer. He will make a way for you and will lead you safely through. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Help me sing the last verse if you know it. When your youthful days are gone, and old age is sinking on, and your body bends beneath the weight of care. He will never leave you then. He'll go with you to the end. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord, leave it there. God's provision for His people is great. Just pray when you're in need. Pray when there are things beyond your ability. And There's a God who loves you and I. He opened the eyes of this servant. Now, how do we pray for the lost? Well... The Syrian army is a type of the lost. They're blind. You realize that sinners are blind? They're considered blind by the Word of God. The book of Romans says, I believe Paul told the Romans there, that the God of this world had blinded them. And they're like blind. You ever seen a blind person with a cane? They tap along to make sure where they're stepping is level. And when they're blind, they come to a ledge, and the cane goes down, they stop. They are walking by by the feel of the cane. And they can go to steps, and, and when they find steps, and stood, they'll, they'll take the cane and put it straight down, and they'll go down so far, and they know how to step down. And they'll do it again. And they'll do it again. They're blind. Sinners are blind. They've been blinded by the God of this world, the devil. And you and I, you know, if I saw a blind, I see a blind person, I have pity upon them. You know, I, I do not condone sin, but I, I have pity upon the sinner for being captured in that sin. Now, here's, here's an Elisha's type of the believer. What does he say here in verse uh, 16, I believe it is? Nope, verse 20. Look what he says. Came to pass, we're coming to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, 
Open the eyes of these men, they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. When they opened their eyes, they were surrounded by the Israeli army with swords and spears. Now, we're going to die. You know what? The opening their eyes revealed to them they were going to die. Now, on your prayer sheet, your prayer card, your Bible marker, put on the back. Put these words. You ready? Don't have a pen? Borrow one from somebody. Uh, you can get it from somebody else if you don't have that. Put God and then three dots, dot, dot, dot. Number one, open their eyes. Open their eyes. You know what happened if the sinner you're praying for, if their eyes get open, that they're going to die they're headed for eternity, they realize their condition, then, brother, they'll start looking for a solution. Open their eyes. Dr. Oliver Green says in his book, From uh, Disgrace to Grace, Black Sheep of the Family, he was a sinner, but his older sister Sadie was a Christian. There where they lived, Oliver was working in a gas station, and uh, one night on the way home, Oliver decided to go back to that gas station and rob it. He knew where the money was kept. He was going to go and break out a glass. He had the keys to the place. He was going to break out a glass, pretending that someone had broke in, and then open it, get the money, throw things around, lock, it, lock the door back, and then go home. Now, money in his pockets. He said he planned that that night, and he got out. He got out of the house, got out of his bed, got dressed, uh, got out on the front porch, and he had to walk by Sadie's bedroom, and he heard her praying. God spare Oliver. God save Oliver. God help Oliver to be saved. He said, I walked on past that prayer, and I got in the old car, cranked it up, and was headed to the gas station to rob it. Said, I got a mile from the house, and it just quit. Boom. He said, I was a pretty good mechanic. I, I had a little light. I opened the hood and looked at there. Everything was together. I got back in. Said, the battery's going dead. He said, I finally gave up and walked back to the house, slipped in the house, got in the bed, and went to sleep. The next morning, he said he got up, and uh, walked back to where the old car was and says, I don't know I'm going to get it cranked, but I'm going to do what I can. He looked under the hood. Everything looked good. He put the key in the ignition. Vroom, cranked right up. Drove on down to the gas station, and to his surprise, the owner of the station was already there, sitting in a corner. Oliver said to him, I'm surprised you're here this early, sir. He said, oh, I spent all night here. He pulled out a shotgun underneath the counter. See this? Something told me last night somebody's going to rob my station. And I sat over in this corner all night awake. And if anybody had broken a glass or tried to enter, I was going to shoot first and ask questions. You may never realize how important your prayers for your lost loved one may be. You and I may be the only person standing between them and hell that cares about them. And so 
God opened their eyes. Let's look at number two. Look what else happened in the story. Verse 21, chapter 6 of 2 Kings. And the king of Israel said, Elisha, when he saw them, talk about the Syrian army, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? In other words, shall I kill them? Look what Elisha answered, verse 22, and he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them. They may eat and drink and go to their master. You see, this is an unusual situation, unusual verse. Because most times in the Old Testament, they killed the enemy. But even Christ in the Beatitudes said about your enemies, pray for your enemies, love them, give them food, water. And here's Elisha demonstrating the grace of God right here in the Old Testament. Number two, on your back of your prayer card, give them your word. Number one was God, dot, dot, dot. Number one, open their eyes. Number two, give them your word. You see, water and bread in the Bible represents the word of God. Water represents, as you drink the water, it's like the Holy Spirit that refreshes you. A spring of water comes out. Water is used for cleansing. The word of God cleanses us on the outside, and bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And as we give them the word of God, then God can use that. Now, uh, as you pray for this person on your prayer list, these persons, then somewhere pray, God, give them your word that they may be saved. It may be a gospel tract they find. We've got a friend of ours who's in heaven now who worked down at Wheeland Foundry in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he was lost, and he walked into the bathroom stall and to sit down to do his business, and somebody laid a gospel track, and he picked it up, and sitting there, he read it through, and God got a hold of his heart. Gospel tracks are effective. You know the first gospel track was? The sign above Jesus' head hanging on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. How about that? Multilingual track there. Written in Greek, Hebrew, Latin. It may be a radio preacher preaching the radio. It may be a television evangelist. That'll be a rarity, but it might be. And, uh, but anyway, it may be a street preacher on the streets preaching the gospel. It may be an evangelist preaching and, and they hear the word of God. However God wants them to hear the gospel is how you and I want them to hear the gospel. I served a couple of years in Europe. I was working for, at that time, a rich uncle uh, working in Europe. He's not too rich now. He's deeply in debt. Uncle Sam, U.S. military, Army. Go Army. And, uh, and uh, I had a good Christian friend there. Uh, he and I were close. His name was Rod Bayshore out of Tampa, Florida. And so Rod was a better Christian than I was. I asked Rod one day, I said, Rod, what started you on this path of salvation? He said, Brother Randy, it's, uh, it was amazing. He said, uh, said uh, I was 19 years old. He said, I had long hair as a hippie. He said, I had my station, my mom and dad's home tuned to a rock station there in Tampa, Florida. And I went in my room 
one day to just change clothes and go to work. said, I turned on the radio. When I turned my back, this preacher came on my radio. And the preacher said, well, you know, the Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. You ought to admit you're a sinner. You're a low-down, ugly, dirty, rotten sinner. You need to get right with God. He said, I didn't like to hear that. That's my radio. He said, I went over and turned it off. Click. That shut him up. He turned around, and he started preaching again. He said, out of that radio, it was plugged in the wall and turned off. I heard that same man say, but you know, God gave his son to die on a cross for you, you dirty, rotten sinner, and he paid his precious blood that you could be saved. He said, I didn't want to hear that. I went back over and unplugged it out of the wall and walked away and he started preaching again. Unplugged, turned off. And he said, he gave me the word of God that the good news he had was that God would save you. You dirty, rotten sinner, God loves you. He said, I didn't want to hear that. He said, it was on a little shelf. I walked to where that radio was and I slapped it against the wall. It hit the wall. It busted. Said he quit preaching. I started walking away and I heard him say, you're going to have to make a decision one day to get saved or go to hell. And the preacher faded out. He said, Randy, I've never gotten away from the word of God that got a hold of my heart. Now, I'm going to tell you, we need to pray. God, open their eyes. Let them see where they're going. If they'll see which way they're directed, they'll change their life. Give them the word. The word will direct them where to go, how to go. We need to pray for them. Number three, give them your peace. I'll repeat these. Open their eyes. Give them the word. Give them your peace. Look at verse 23. The last part. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. After that experience, the Assyrian army never in Elisha's lifetime, a period of over 40 years, never came back into the Holy Land. There was peace between those two countries. I can imagine the king of Assyria saying, uh, let's get a force and go into Israel. We're going to conquer them this time. And I can see all the soldiers say, uh, Sir, last time we went in there, I went blind. I don't really want to go back there anymore. <laughs> I leave them people alone. <laughs> that guy named Elisha is something else. I don't want to go. But they got peace. The soldiers of Syria got to stay home with their families and be productive, and the Israelites were at home and productive. So, Lord, open their eyes. God, give them your word. God, give them your peace. In the early settlement of our country, in the establishment of our country, 1776, of course, was when the declaration, we declared independence, our forefathers did, from England. But the British would come back in 1812, in the War of 1812, and try to conquer the colonies again and put them under English rule. But 
there were other enemies there, and it was the Indians. The Indians um, were being pushed out of their land and all kinds of cruel things done to them, and they naturally retaliated, and so there was a war between the early colonists and the Indian nations. The Quakers uh, were in eastern New York and had, had a little place of worship there. And they gathered in that place of worship every year, I mean every week. And uh, there they came, they sang, they prayed, preacher preached. And uh, 13 Indians decided, got together, they would kill those white folks. They came upon them while they were in service singing, and the chief and two of the braves uh, slipped inside in the back, and the Quakers uh, were so enthralled in their worship service they didn't realize these Indians had come in, and if they had, maybe they are there to hear and see, and so we'll leave them alone, and the chief and the two braves started looking around. There's their coats and their hats. and There's no guns, no knives, no spears. These people are not, they don't have any defense. And I don't know if it was the Spirit of God or what it was, but the chief went back out and went to all his braves who were there to commit a massacre upon these people, <clears throat> and said, no, these are a people of peace. These are a people of peace. And when the service ended, the chief still outside stepped forward and spoke to the minister and said, we came with the notion of killing you, but we came in and saw that you're a people of peace, that you're not here to kill us. You have no guns, no knives. No spears. And the chief, out of his royal headband, you might say, took out a white feather and put it above the door. And he said, now you're safe. There's no Indian tribe that will bother you while you're worshiping. And they say there's a historical marker there in eastern New York of that white feather. The white feather put above the church. You know... I love the church, and I believe the church ought to be a place of peace. But there's a lot of people we know don't have this peace. They don't have this. That's the reason they turn to alcohol and drugs and everything else in the world. They don't have this peace that I have, this relationship with Jesus. Oh, listen, we need to pray for those on our prayer list. And you don't have to pray exactly the way I've given you, but I, I think it's a good start. Lord, God, open their eyes. Lord, give them your word. Lord, give them your peace. And when you say that, you're saying, Lord, help them to come to a place in their life where they're at peace with you and get saved. We've, like those two spies, we need to intercede to Joshua, the figure of God, for that Rahab. And you know what? Who knows? Who knows what will become of one of those persons? Well, when that black preacher told Albert Tinley, Albert, go back to your seat, you're nothing. He didn't realize right there 
would be one of the largest, one of the greatest black preachers in the history of the United States. You see, we don't see the, we don't know the potential in that one person being saved, but God does. And and regardless whether there is a great potential there or not, you know what? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? What would he give? Would he give the whole world? I mean, that one soul being saved is worth all the wealth of the world. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I preached to you 38 minutes. That's probably too long. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come pray now this evening. Say, why, preacher? Now I've told you how to pray. Maybe you ought to come to the altar and call their name out and say, God, open their eyes. God, give them your word. God, give them your peace. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great illustration there in the life of Elisha concerning how we should pray for others. Lord, help us to be faithful, to keep our eyes upon you, and then keep one eye upon the lost that we pray for them. And Lord, help them in a time of need. And surely, Father, from this congregation, there are those who will pray who will have a concern for this one person, this prodigal child, this prodigal mother or father, this prodigal relative, this prodigal neighbor. I pray, Father God, you'd help in that. Save the lost, oh God. Oh, Father, if we saw the reality of hell, our hearts would be broken. Help us, Father, to be faithful in being intercessors and help us then to be soul winners for your cause. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.